Well, good morning. We had a beautiful weekend last weekend camping out at Maumel Park, and so a good group out there, and I think for the first time in uh, probably two or three years, we had no rain while we were camping, so we were much appreciative of that. Beautiful weekend, so um, a lot going on this time of the year. We've got Trunk or Treat coming up uh, on uh, Wednesday evening, and then, uh, of course, on Thursday, we'll be back at Glenview for our monthly pantry. And I appreciate so much the donations through our Summers Kids bucket contribution and then through the socks that have been donated and some monetary donations for our Socktober. And so we'll be delivering those socks to Glenview and allowing those families and those children and their parents to be able to enjoy that blessing. So a lot going on this time of the year and so glad to see you here this morning in the middle of it. And so what a good day to be in the house of the Lord. So... The fellow grew up on the Italian peninsula, and it was no doubt an unremarkable childhood. Um, He was probably unremarkable uh, even as a child. I don't know what he aspired to be as a child, but as he came of age, uh, he made a decision that uh, probably most of the, the young men his age, the healthy boys of his day, made, and that was to become a soldier. And so he entered into uh, the service of his nation. And so at a time when the average height was about five and a half feet tall, the, the, the army was looking for men, able-bodied men, who were taller than that, at least that, but, t- but taller, probably at least five foot seven. So we can assume that he was at least uh, five foot seven inches tall. And of course, that's considered on the shorter end of, of today's American scale, probably of average. Uh, but nonetheless, this was the first century we're talking about. And Cornelius was a soldier. He was a high-ranking officer in the Roman army. And so, in fact, he was a centurion, which informs us that he was at least probably 30 years old, a little bit older than 30, because it took about 12 to 16 years for a a young man's military service to to put him in a spot to be eligible for a promotion to to such a rank as being a, a, a centurion. And so furthermore, his being a centurion, we would know that Cornelius was literate. Uh, he was, would have some administrative skills that he would have shown uh, alongside of his combat leadership that would have been evident. And, and there were uh, 60 grades or levels of rank within the office of centurion. I mean, you think we got bureaucracy. Uh, the Romans had it down pretty good too. And so to be one of the lowest ranking uh, centurions meant you were responsible for a century which was uh, unbeknownst, you know, we kind of may think of it as 100, but it was really about 80 soldiers. And so to be the lowest level, you would be in charge of about 80 soldiers. And so the highest ranking centurion would be uh, a leader of a cohort, which would have been some 480 or so of these sizable soldiers and administrative staff. And so Rome ruled its territory with an iron fist and virtually eliminated any hope of the Jews forever regaining their their land of heritage. And so the Jews hated the Romans. That is not an understatement. And so Cornelius was well-vested and well-trained, and he was was well-esteemed and well-capable as a Roman soldier. And so it only serves to magnify the wisdom of God as we see what's about to unfold here. We're in Acts chapter 10 this morning. Acts chapter 10, and we begin in verse 1. As we read, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. And he was a devout, God-fearing man, as was all his household, and he did many acts of charity for the people, and he prayed to God 
regularly. And so this word devout that's used here, is, it means holy awe or this, this reverence, but it's, it's reverence that shows itself in activity. And so Cornelius' faith was not just confined to the heart, it showed up in his life, in his actions, in how he lived. And so what kind of deeds was it that, that, that showed up in Cornelius' life? What did he do that showed his faith and his reverence? Well, it wasn't attending worship services. Nobody saw him going to church every week because, you see, Cornelius was not invited to attend Jewish worship services because he was an uncircumcised Gentile. And so he was not allowed in the synagogue or the temple. He wasn't welcome there. So Cornelius wasn't going to church. So what was it? He did worship in the ways that he was capable of doing so. So Cornelius couldn't be prevented from praying And so we read that that he did so always or continually or regularly, Cornelius prayed to God. And so we find that Cornelius was one who lived the way he prayed. And so Scripture says he did many acts of charity for the people. And so the word charity here means an act of mercy or an act of compassion. And so it it often means and probably meant that he tended to the needs of the poor. He helped the, the underprivileged, the unfortunate, but it's not confined to that. And so it's any act by which you demonstrate your love by a deed of kindness. And so he was known for this. And so Cornelius, his alms or kind deeds, they shone. People could see that in his life. And so later in verse 22, we'll read that he was well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. And that should just blow our minds, knowing this history here and what's going on. So imagine a Gentile Roman centurion being praised by the Jews. And so, but Cornelius was one who feared God with all of his household. And so, in other words, Cornelius was a spiritual leader in his family. And so we go on in verse 3. About 3 o'clock one afternoon, Cornelius saw clearly in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. And so staring at him and becoming greatly afraid, Cornelius replied, What is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have gone up as a memorial before God. And so the same thing is going to be said later in verse 31. Do you ever think that God only notices those in the church? Do you ever think God's only tuned in to to us here this morning uh, in in this building? Do you ever think that, that, that God's attention is only turned towards, you know, real Christians? Cornelius was an impressive man. He was. And when, when people talked about Cornelius, they would say, if oh Cornelius doesn't make it through the pearly gates, well, there's no hope for any of us. Right? That's the kind of guy Cornelius was. But you know, for all the good that Cornelius did, and for all the, the decent and good man uh, that he was, and he proved himself to be, for the faith that he imparted to his family, the faith that he demonstrated in his life, a faith in, in God which, which would not have been present in his father or his mother, he wasn't raised... In this faith, and for all of Cornelius' reverence and his, his faith and his praying and his, his, his good deeds and his family spiritual leadership, Cornelius is still lacking in the most important aspect of God's will for humanity. And that's salvation. Salvation. And so in order to receive this gift from God, Cornelius is going to have to change. He's going to have to change at the basic level. He's going to have to repent. 
And so we've been seeing these last few weeks about repentance and how to repent in relation to, to salvation is to change your mind regarding sin and regarding Jesus Christ. And so to realize that sin is the barrier that we erect, we build and put between ourselves and, and between this holy God. And so Jesus, as God's Son, accepted sacrifice for our sins upon Himself. And God accepted Christ as that sacrifice. And He's the only one who is able to break down this barrier. And so, which is why Jesus would proclaim of Himself in John chapter 14 and verse 6, He would say, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Me, except by Me. And so Cornelius only knew the way of God through the Hebrew people. And yet, he would not have been an adherent to the law of Moses. He might have known God's will through the Hebrews, but Cornelius could not follow God's will through the Hebrew law, because he was uncircumcised. And so we know from Scripture that that's the fact. And so under the old law, under the law of Moses, Cornelius would not have been considered righteous because he could not participate in the sacrifices of the temple. And, and he was a Gentile, which there was an option for him. He could not do this. And so, But God has made a new temple. God has made a temple not with hands, but by the Spirit of God, a, a temple in the heart of mankind. And so Cornelius is going to have to come to understand and to accept this. And so he was going, he's going to need to repent. To repent of his old way of thinking about what it means to be a God-fearer and what it means to accept a, a new way of understanding the Gospel of Jesus. And so God instructs him then in verse 5, Now send men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon who is called Peter. This man is staying as a guest with a man named Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who had spoken to him departed, Cornelius called two of his personal servants and a devout soldier from among those who served him. And when he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so in the meantime, God sends Peter a, a, a vision in Joppa. And so Joppa, and Peter sees this, this sheet coming down from, from the heavens like spreading a blanket out for a picnic, right? And the sheet's covered with all of these, these kinds of animals, these ritually unclean animals that, that are forbidden by the Jews to, to touch or to eat. And, and these reptiles and, and all of this, which any Jew with half a religious bone would never touch. And yet God tells him, hey, Peter, kill anything you want and eat it. And so Peter argues with God. He's like, God, I can't do that. Are you testing me? Because I can't do that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a faithful Jew. And you know what? A Jew would never be caught doing this. It's forbidden, God. You're the one that forbid it, right? And after three episodes of this, God reveals His eternal will. What God has, has said is clean. What God says is right. You have no right to declare unclean. And so this, the big picture here is that Cornelius is a Gentile dog. And Jews were never to associate with him, especially when it comes to religious matters. And so God had to reveal to Peter how Peter had been blinded by the same prejudice generations of Jews had been blinded by. That the Gospel really is for all. And all is really bigger than, than, than the nation of Israel. And so Peter has some more repenting to do because his mind has been set by this lifetime of teaching. So even after years he spent with Jesus and, and watching Jesus interact with, with all kinds of people, 
And people Peter had been told his whole life were, were people who were unclean and untouchable, unworthy even, as far as that goes. And yet, he still can't believe what God is showing him. He'd seen Jesus do all this, but yet still, it's hard to get past what's been ingrained in his mind. What he's been brought up to believe is right. And so sometimes we can set our minds so unwavering on what we think we know that we refuse to be open to the truth. Because if I'm right... How can I be wrong, right? <laughs> and so, but Peter wasn't closed-minded. He wasn't closed-minded because here's what we read in verse 17. Now, while Peter was puzzling, he was thinking about this. God, what does this mean? What this vision had, he had seen could signify. The men sent by Cornelius had learned where Simon's house was and approached the gate. And so Peter's still trying to reason an, an explanation for this vision, and, and Cornelius' envoy shows up at the door. And so the Spirit sort of jars Peter out of this deep thought, you, you need to go down and meet these men. And Peter does. He goes down and he meets them. In verse 22 they said, Cornelius the centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear a message from you. Now notice they preface this, this entire conversation with Cornelius the centurion, but he's a good man. Right? We're here on behalf of Cornelius. That sounds very Gentile. The centurion, that's got Roman written all over it, but he's a good dude, right? He's a good man. It's like we would describe someone today who was kind of rough around the edges. Maybe they have a checkered past, but we'd say, but he's got a good heart. Right? We use that kind of terminology. So these men, I bet they were arguing the entire trip about how, how, are we, how in the world are we going to convince this Jewish man Peter to blindly follow us back to meet with a Roman centurion in the centurion's home? How are we going to do this? I don't know. You, you, go, you knock on the door and I'll stand back in case he... You know. I wonder what was going through their mind as they traveled on this road to, to carry out this, this direction. So the next day, Peter and some of the, the Christian men traveled back together to, to Caesarea. Peter goes with them. Because God had already done the heavy lifting. God had made sure that everybody was ready for this. So in verse 24, the following day he entered Caesarea. And now Cornelius was waiting anxiously for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So when Peter came in, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter helped him up saying, Stand up, I too am a mere mortal. Peter continued talking with him as he went in, and he found many people gathered together. And he said to them, You know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Yet God has shown me that I should call no person defiled or ritually unclean. Therefore, when you sent for me, I came without any objection. Now may I ask, why did you send for me? Why am I here, right? And so... Peter wants to make sure they know, look, I, I know, this, you know this, this should be wrong, but God has sent me, so I know it's got to, I'm, I'm, I'm here, it's okay for me to be here. But why am I here? <laughs> right? And so Cornelius knew about Jesus of Nazareth, and he knew some of the, the, the Jews had hailed him king. He knew this. He knew others of the Jews had even rejected Jesus and ultimately conspired to carry out his death. This was all knowledge to him. He had heard about the empty tomb. Cornelius had heard about the commotion that was caused by, by, by Jesus. And, and, and of course he had heard about this because he was in a position of command in the Roman army. And so this kind of intelligence 
is shared throughout the empire. And so, not to mention the growing number of disciples who were claiming that Jesus was alive. So he knew about this. Cornelius knew, but he did not understand. And so Cornelius replied, Four days ago, at this very hour, at three o'clock in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. And suddenly a man in shining clothing stood before me. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your acts of charity have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and summon Simon, who is called Peter. This man is staying as a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you at once, and you were kind enough to come. So now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to say to us. So Peter shows up and says, I don't know why I'm here, but God sent me. And he, Cornelius says, I don't know why you're here, but God told me to call for you, right? So here they are. So now it's time for the Spirit of God to intervene. Cornelius says, we are ready to listen to everything from God. And so this is one of those words here that has limited meaning in English, but it's got an expansive concept in the original language. Cornelius wasn't just ready to acknowledge the the auditory stimulation that was going to come from, from Peter speaking to them, Peter's voice. Cornelius is saying, we are ready to do, we're ready to obey whatever you tell us God has, has for you to say. We're ready to do it. See, repentance involves changed behavior, but, but at the seed, at the root of repentance, is a changed mind and a changed heart. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of doing life and a new reason for living even. And so it's a determination you could say. And so Cornelius and his household were determined to do whatever God asked them to do. And they were ready to change. And so Peter hadn't pre-planned what he was going to say. He hadn't thought about this. He hadn't written out, you know, all of his points. He didn't, you know, research a poem to include with his three points in a poem. He he didn't know what he was going to say because he wasn't really sure until the moment why he was there, until God revealed it to him. He hadn't thought about this all the way from Joppa. Peter still had no idea why he was called by Cornelius and why he was commissioned by God to be there until now, until this moment. So Peter has another opportunity to change and to turn and and to repent of the way he used to think and the way he used to act and now to align his life and his purpose with that of God's. And so the light bulb comes on, or we might say the, the spirit of light shone. And so Peter started speaking. I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism in dealing with people, but in every nation, the person who fears Him and does what is right is welcome before Him. And that's Cornelius. That's Cornelius. God-fearing, doing what's right, welcomed. So all is good, Cornelius. So, I'm, I'm Peter, I'm Peter, I'm just here to affirm you and tell you, keep up the good work, brother. You're doing a good job. Keep serving. Keep giving. Keep, keep living the way you've been living. You're doing a good job. And, and, and by the way, you can now come to church with us. All is good. All is right. Good is good enough. Right? There is not enough time, opportunity, or ability within me to do enough good to overcome my sin. There is no height of achievement in the category of being a good person that I can achieve 
that will get me over the garbage heap of sin that's piled up between me and God. See, Jesus lived to die because no matter how long I live, I cannot overcome death. Neither spiritual death nor physical death. I cannot overcome it. And the world around us wants so badly to believe that being good is all it takes to get into heaven. And we may have even convinced ourselves of this falsity. But Scripture plainly refutes this wrong belief. See, Peter was not there to affirm the goodness of Cornelius. Peter was there to proclaim the necessity of Jesus Christ. And so Peter tells them in verse 36, you know the message he sent to the people of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John announced. With respect to Jesus from Nazareth, that God appointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with Him. We are witnesses of all these things He did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They killed Him by hanging Him on a tree. But God raised Him up on the third day and caused Him to be seen. Not by all the people, but by us. The witnesses God had already chosen who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. And He commanded us to preach to the people and to warn them that He is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. And about Him all the prophets testify that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. So Cornelius was a good man. Cornelius was a godly man. Cornelius was an ambassador for good. He was. Cornelius made the world around him a better place. Cornelius was a generous man. Cornelius helped a lot of people. And Cornelius was lost without Jesus. And this is a turning point for Cornelius. It's a turning point for Peter. And this is going to be a turning point for everyone who would put their faith in God. See, forgiveness of sins does not come through acts of kindness. Forgiveness of sin does not come through providing well for your family. Forgiveness of sin does not come from being a dependable employee. Forgiveness of sin doesn't come from being an elder or a minister or for serving on on multitudes of committees or organizing acts of charities or, or teaching Bible classes or volunteering to serve. Everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. See, Cornelius had to repent of the way he thought about salvation just as Peter did and just as we do. And while Peter was still speaking, these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had accompanied Peter were greatly astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. God is having to say, this is from me, of me, by me. So He gives them a sign here. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. See, God loves to ring our memory bells. And it would seem here that He reminds these brothers and He reminds us of that great event on Pentecost. 
takes our minds back where His Spirit was poured out on the apostles, unveiling this gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so now He removes any question of whether or not Peter should be here saying and doing what he's doing. So God seals these events with this unquestionable evidence of His righteous approval. Approval of these Gentiles receiving the same invitation that was extended to the Jews. And that is salvation through Jesus Christ. So there you go, right? Cornelius and his household believe in Jesus. Their hearts have turned to Christ for their salvation. They have accepted Jesus into their heart. And now they have a restored relationship with God. And and, and Peter and others can be on their way. Right? And that's what so many want to... We want to put the period at the end of that sentence. See, Peter knew the will of God. Peter had been preaching the will of God for for a few years now. And and this very message that Cornelius had heard and, and the events of Pentecost and the events of the upper room were still very fresh in Peter's mind. What did he say? What did God send? What message through the Spirit was delivered by Peter that day? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were acutely distressed. Why? Because they now believe. We now believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Are we good? (laughs) We good, right? We get it. They said, What should we do? What do we do about this? And so Peter said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, He testified and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this perverse generation. So those who accepted His message accepted it. They didn't walk away. They were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added. Added where? Added to the kingdom of God. By God. And so, of course, remembering this, knowing this, the same message, of course, Peter would say of Cornelius back in Acts chapter 10, no one can withhold water from these people to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? So he gave orders to have them baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and then they asked him to stay for several days. So Cornelius was a good man. He was a godly man. He was an ambassador for good. Cornelius made the world around him a better place. He was a generous man. Cornelius helped a lot of people. And now, Cornelius was saved. Not by himself but by the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. And we read that Peter stayed with Cornelius several days after, and certainly to instruct him in this this new faith in Jesus, to teach him more about this. Because while repentance requires change, that change may not and usually does not take root immediately. It's not immediately. We still struggle. And so when I was younger... I could spin around, I, I could spin around real quick, right? And head the other direction without a hitch. <laughs> 180 degrees on my heels. And now when I do that, I gotta brace for a few minutes while my eyes catch up to my brain and then I can start going forward, right? 
So I, I can change my mind about how I'm going to live and how I'm going to act and, and what I'm going to do, but my flesh continues to wage war with my spirit. And so I need the continual prompting of the Spirit of God, the encouragement of, of, of brothers and sisters, this daily recommitment to, to submit my life to Christ and remind me of why I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I need to be connected to a local body of believers where not only I can receive encouragement and instruction, but I can provide encouragement and instruction. And no doubt that was part of the conversation that Peter had with Cornelius. It was about the importance of, of being connected with other believers. And because Peter's, that was Peter's message everywhere he went. So certainly it was no different here. So repentance involves more than just rejecting sin in our lives. Repentance involves changing the way we think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so changing the direction of our thoughts. God has appointed Jesus as judge of the living and the dead. And so that, that is, that, that's the will of God revealed by and, and, and through Jesus. And that's the measure by which we will all be judged today and for eternity. And so God chose Peter to reveal the, the open door of the kingdom to the Gentiles. And God chose Cornelius to be the first Gentile invited through the door of that kingdom of God. But God chose Jesus to be the door through which Peter and Cornelius and, and any and everyone else would enter His kingdom. Nothing more and nothing less. And so, the ability to accept the truth of God requires change. It's, it's, it's changing your heart and changing your mind. And when you do, just as Cornelius, God will change your future. So this morning, what change do you need to make? What way of thinking do you need to submit to God's will and change your life? Perhaps it's confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and submitting your life to His through baptism. Dying to yourself. Meeting Him in the grave so God can resurrect you to a new life with the gift of His Holy Spirit as a promise and a guide and a comfort. So this morning, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. If we can encourage you in any way as you make your change for God today, will you come? Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see. It's what the Lord has done in me. Hosanna, Hosanna to the Lamb that was slain. Hosanna, Hosanna. Jesus died and rose again. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see. It's what the Lord has done in me. Hosanna, Hosanna to the Lamb that was slain. 
come, Jesus died and rose again. Into the river I will wade. There my sins are washed away. From the heavens mercy stream of the Savior's love for me. Hosanna, Hosanna to the Lamb that was slain. Hosanna, 